To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. I'm Matt Colby. And I'm Tim Young. Well, Matt, it's great to have you back here again. It's been a while. It's good to be back. <laughs> you were here for our very first three podcasts. Yeah. And we were talking back then because your wife was uh, great with child. Oh, and yeah, that's came, right. And that's the very right. next day, he was born. Yeah. So that's how long it's been. And how old is he now? Uh, yeah, Jude's about one and a half. Right. So it's yeah. been that long. <laughs> yeah. You are very busy with two boys. and A lot of water under the bridge <laughs> in that time. Well, I'm really excited about having you be back here again and, and talking about something that we talked about back in the podcast about concordances. Yeah. That was way back when, and I don't know if you're listening now, if you've listened to that one, but it might be good to go back and listen to that one. But this kind of stands alone on its own, too. We're going to be talking about lexicons, about word definitions, about these uh, study tools And the reason I want to talk about this, one of the reasons I want to talk about this is because it's study tools. We like talking about study tools when we're studying the Bible. But another reason is because this word keeps popping up in the podcast, and it's the word ecclesia, and we're just kind of saying it out of habit as Christadelphians because we use this word instead of church. Yeah. And there's a reason behind that. And we're going to talk about that, but when we we talk about lexicons and kind of bring out the meaning more of the word church in the Bible. I brought Matt here because you like study tools, you like lexicons, and I think you've got, I'm not really kind of a lexicon guy. I I look at a few that are kind of more of the simpler ones that we're going to be talking about, but you, you really go into them. You really enjoy that, don't you? And it's a good thing. I'm a fan. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, a fan, I'm a fan of lexicons. I won't call myself an expert. I, I'm scared of that word, but yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. I know a little bit about yeah. them. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're really great tools, and I think this is going to be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you go in? Why don't you tell us what a lexicon is? Yeah, sure. Just a really short recap for, for anybody who did listen to that podcast so long ago. I think it, I think it was <laughs> our third podcast you might have mentioned yeah. on, on concordances. So, so just a reminder that the Bible that we read today, we read it in English, but it wasn't originally written in English. So the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, we call them the Hebrew scriptures because for the most part, they were written in Hebrew. A few parts of them were written in Aramaic and the New Testament was written in Greek, a form of Greek that's called today, we call it Koine Greek. Mm-hmm. And these languages are ancient languages. So nobody speaks those languages today. So you're saying even in Israel, they speak Hebrew, but they don't speak... Yeah, but it's a modern version of Hebrew. You know, if you were to go back 500 years and and listen to English speakers, then you might not be able to understand them because the language has changed so much. Yeah, I've tried to read some ancient English manuscripts and you can't read it. It's it's pretty much impossible. And so the same was true with, with these languages. Modern day Hebrew would be very different from the ancient Hebrew that much of the Bible was written in. So to understand it, 
then we, we rely on Bible translations. We also had an episode that was all about Bible translations, and it's really important to think hard about and do some research on Bible translations to pick a good one because, because we're relying on the scholarship and the study that has gone into those translations mm-hmm. to translate them from those ancient languages into English. It can be a bit of a slog sometimes if you're trying to look at these ancient languages for yourself. And it it can be maybe even an overwhelming task at first, especially if you're not equipping yourself with some really good study tools. Mm -hmm. And so one tool that I like a lot is a lexicon. And a lexicon goes a little bit further than a concordance, and it's really used for a bit of a different purpose. So in the English, a lot of our English words mean different things depending on the context in which they're used, right? Right. And so we instinctually, as English speakers, we don't even think about the fact that that's the case. But when we hear a word, we just know what it means based on the sentence in which to, which it was used. But but we don't speak those ancient languages. So we don't know what it might have meant in a specific context. If you were to look, for example, at the dictionary in a Strong's Concordance, it'll give you an English gloss of all the potential things a word could mean. But we'd be guessing as to what it might mean in a specific verse. What does it mean in this verse that I just read? That's where a lexicon comes into play. A lexicon goes further to say, specifically, here's what this word would have meant in this verse, in this specific context. So these languages, these you know, ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek, haven't been spoken for you know, maybe 2,000 years almost, even longer in the case of the Hebrew, probably the Greek, maybe about 2,000 years. And so these ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek scholars, for generations, they've dedicated their lives to studying ancient texts to get an idea of how these words were used in different contexts. And they study the Bible manuscripts, the manuscripts that the Bible is based on, but also a lot of ancient manuscripts from the same time period in which the Bible was written to get sort of a fully informed idea of of the meaning that these words can take on. There's a, a book called New Testament Words by William Barclay. Yeah. He has a lot of background of different manuscripts. And some of them are even personal letters. Right. That, you know, they're just writing home to a mother. And they'll, they'll look through those to try to figure out how they were actually using these words back then. Oh, absolutely. And that would be a very valid thing to do because you're just getting an idea of how people spoke back then. How would they have used these words? That's what we want to know. Yeah. So we can understand these words were written for audiences that lived Back in that yeah. time period. So how would they have read yeah. this? We how have to realize that it? about the Bible is that this was written in a historical context. And yeah. we want to appreciate that and respect that because we don't want to bring our own kind of 21st century biases back to the, the Bible. We understood what they were communicating back then. Absolutely. And so, I mean, the first important task is picking a good Bible translation yeah. because those translators are experts that have put in the time to figure out what those words mean. But the reality is that there's no perfect translation and there's always going to be something lost in translation. If you're looking at a Greek word, often there's no perfect English word to compare to it. But if you get a good lexicon, then it can really sort of deepen your understanding sometimes of of verses and whole passages in the Bible. Maybe put a qualification here. I mean, there's... Not to discourage anybody, but you you can read the Bible. You can get the truth from just reading the Bible yourself in English. Yes, but absolutely. this helps you go so much deeper and helps you understand things so much better. Absolutely. And so, I, what we wanted to do, and you've already touched on this today, is sort of describe use like a case study of how yeah. to use a lexicon, but with a particular really important word. And I'll let you go on to talk about what that word is right. and why we're looking at it. So the word is church. It's 
a word that I think people assume what it means based upon our culture. Yeah. And we had a seminar group and I started off by this subject by asking him, you know, what does the word church uh, mean to you? And the very first answer was, well, it's the building, right? And yeah. I went, well, yeah. That's, that's how we understand it these days. But when you go to the Bible, we're going to find that that's not what it meant. And so this is kind of one of these case studies. So a lot of times I've seen in talks or some somebody doing a study, they'll look at an English dictionary first to try and get an understanding of the word, which is really not what we want to do, right? Yeah. Because that, that's really kind of for our modern day kind of understanding of it. But just as an example, just reading from Merriam-Webster's dictionary, they have five different meanings for the word church. Yeah. And the very first one is a building for public and especially Christian worship. So there you have it. I mean, honestly, yeah, that's the way that we understand it. Yeah. It's a building, right? The second one is the clergy or officialdom of a religious body. The clergy of a religious body. Is that the way it's used in scripture? Yeah. yeah no, not we're going to find no. <laughs> yeah, not really. And when we're talking about the definition of the English word too, it's interesting what you might find in a dictionary definition versus what common understanding might be. When I hear the word church, I don't know about you, but that's not the first thing I no, think. Yeah. I usually True. think building first yeah. of all. The third definition, this one's interesting. It says often capitalized a body or organization of religious believers. First of all, the whole body of Christians. Second of all, a denomination, i.e. the Presbyterian Church. And third, the congregation. Now this, that's interesting because I think that's what we're going to find out. And I think logically when people start thinking about it, they go, yeah, that's, that's really what the word church should mean. Yeah. That's the idea behind it of congregation or assembly. But the dictionary continues on. It says, uh, number four, it says, a public divine worship. He goes to church every Sunday. I've seen that too, like in social media. Somebody will say, what do you want to get out of church? Yeah. And what they're really meaning is the worship service. Yeah, but again, yeah. that's, that's not the way that the Bible uses that word. And then finally, in the Webster's definition, number five, it says the clerical profession. As an example, he considered the church as a possible career. Ah, interesting, right? So, <laughs> Church as a career choice. Yeah. yeah. So really, the, the overall number one is a big one. In our society, the word has been mostly associated with a physical building or a denomination, but more, more often the, the church. I'm going to the church. I'm going into the church. Those kind of ideas. We're going to find that as we get in these lexicon studies, there's something deeper here yep. that's going to really be more spiritual and be more important for our understanding, more essential for our understanding. So you always want to ask that question. And what, what did that word church, when it's, it's translated, why was it translated that way? Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at what a few good lexicons have to say about but, the word that's translated yeah, church. Before we get into that, <laughs> before we get into all the different lexicons that are out there, I just want to put one caveat on it. Sure. And this is a rule in my life, and I think it's a rule in your life, is that before we open up a lexicon, we actually do our Bible study first. Absolutely. Like we look up this word in the Strongs, and we just get all the different verses, and we actually read these verses, and we think about this 
before we actually open these books because these are actually like commentaries in a way. And they're they're great because they have this great scholarship, but they also have biases to them. For sure. That, like they're not inspired by any means, right? Yeah. So we're kind of breaking our own rule here by actually not doing the study first. But we wanted to talk about lexicons because they are important and uh, yeah, going to help us here. Absolutely. And this would, this would not be the first step, as you say. But but I'd say that that's perhaps why we waited this long to do a podcast on lexicons. Yeah. Be- because uh, Thanks for that, we, we've sort of gotten it to this point. Yeah, yeah, sort of given you a really good reason. You bailed me out. There. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so we're going to start by, I, I thought what might be helpful, Tim, you brought a Vines Dictionary. Yeah. On the cover, here's, here's the full title, Vines Amplified Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. That's a mouthful. Yeah, it is. Right. It is a bit of a mouthful. So... One thing that, that you and I have talked about is is there's a bit of an overlap and maybe not consistency. People sometimes use the word dictionary or the word lexicon. Yeah. And you just saw that, that Vines on the cover, it says it's a dictionary. But when you get into it, you find it really kind of fits the definition of a lexicon. Because really, I think the way I define a lexicon is a, a resource that's giving you the meaning of words in context. Mm-hmm. Now, a dictionary would have what we call a gloss might give you all the possible definitions, but a lexicon would tell you what it means in the context in which it's used. I'm just going to read you this. It's under the word, well, this is interesting. It's under the word assembly. Yeah, I went to church first and I'd say, go see assembly. Go see assembly, <laughs> yeah. The first line, it says it's the Greek word ecclesia. Mm, there's our word. Yeah, by this time we've established this is the word that is translated in, in all English translations that we're aware of, it's translated church. Yeah. But it's the re- Greek word ecclesia. So here it is. I'm, I'm going to read this because I thought, and Tim, you thought too, that Vines was a really straightforward definition yeah. and a good example. That's what of, I like about it. Yeah. Of, yeah, of what a lexicon can do for you and, and will explain to you. So here it is. Ecclesia. And it's tied to the Strong's numbers, Vines is. So it says it's Strong's number 4905 from Ek out of and klesis, a calling, was used among the Greeks of a body of citizens gathered to discuss the affairs of state. As an example, Acts chapter 19, verse 39. I'll mention, I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. In the Septuagint, the Septuagint, by the way, is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So in the Septuagint, it is used to designate the gathering of Israel summoned for any definite purpose or a gathering regarded as representative of the whole nation. In Acts 7, verse 38, it is used of Israel. In Acts 19, verse 32 and verse 41, of a riotous mob. It has, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So this is interesting. We're going to start to see how many different meanings and shades of meaning it takes on based on the context. We keep going. It has two applications to companies of Christians. The first, to the whole company of the redeemed throughout the present era, the company of which Christ said, I will build my church from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, and which is further described as the church which is his body from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23. And then the the second meaning is in the singular number so not the whole body, but in the singular sense. For example, they give Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. 
to a company consisting of professed believers. For example, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, and in the plural with reference to <laughs> churches in a district. Now, I realize that was a mouthful, but... Yeah, hopefully they're still with us. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's the danger of reading things <laughs> verbatim. But, but the point is that what you've seen there is if you were interested in any one of those specific uses in one of those verses, you could come to this Vine's definition and yeah. say, oh, okay, here's what it meant in this verse in context. It's referring to the totality of Christian believers everywhere, or maybe throughout it's- Throughout all time. Th- yeah, yeah, throughout all time, or it's singular, you know, and maybe yeah. it's singular, or maybe it's not talking about Christians at all. Now, that's interesting. Mm. Um, that's the one I wanted to mention briefly. It mentioned Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, we find a couple of examples of the word ecclesia used, but it doesn't have to do with Christians at all. It's not translated as church in that sense. No, it's not. It's translated, I think, as assembly. Yes. And you find it, I think, three times in verse 32 and verse 39 and verse 41. Uh, Two of those times is talking about an unruly mob that's come together. And yeah. one of those times it's talking about a, a lawful assembly, like a jury almost, that would, would come and judge something, a legal assembly. And in those verses, it's, it's not talking about Christians at all. So it's important to understand, you, you can see outside of Christian thinking, this was a word that was used yeah. and that Christians decided to start using to describe their own gatherings together. And so I'll, I'll talk about briefly a couple of other lexicons that I like a lot. Probably my favorite lexicon is called Bauer's Greek-English lexicon. This is for the New Testament. It's, it's got a longer title than that. I'm, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not going to read it all out. It's, it's referred to often by the acronym BDAG, which I think is uh, Bauer, Danker, Arndt, and Gingrich. Hey, very good. There you go. Uh, people that, uh, <laughs> These the are scholars the, that put it together. All, all the scholars that put it together. That's right. And I, I like it. It's considered by a lot of scholars as sort of the, the gold standard of, of mm-hmm. Greek lexicons. It's really extremely thorough. And sometimes so thorough, it can be less accessible. Yeah. Vines is very accessible. Yeah. And it's also pretty cheap. You can get it pretty cheaply in just about any Bible bookstore. But you start to look at lexicons like this one, like BDAG, and you can be spending hundreds of dollars for something like this and find that it might be very hard to understand because of all of the abbreviations and references to literature yeah. outside of the Bible. Yeah. But what it gives you is is just a, a really varied and thorough amount of information right. about just about every possible scenario and breaks down really definitions and context verse by verse. It doesn't even really group verses together too much. It just sort of says, here's what it would mean in this specific verse and something just very slightly different in another verse. So it's very thorough in that way. And one interesting thing that the entry on Ecclesia in the BDAG lexicon gives us is perhaps some of the rationale behind why Christians decided to start using the word Ecclesia to describe themselves. And it says that apparently the word Ecclesia became popular among Christians in Greek-speaking areas for two reasons. One was to sort of, it says, to affirm the continuity of Israel through the use of a term found in Greek translations of the Hebrew scriptures. So that's the Old Testament. We mentioned that, that we have versions of the Old Testament written in Greek. In the time of the New Testament, in Jesus' time, that's probably what, if they were reading the Old Testament, it would yeah. have been in Greek, right? And yeah. so they're using the same word to sort of, Christians saying, we worship the same God that the Israelites worship to sort of tie themselves to yeah. those gatherings back in the nation of Israel. I think too, Matt, because 
there was a word that was very similar. It's the word synagogue. Yeah, that's right. And in the Old Testament, in that Septuagint, you can see it was used for a multitude or gathering of people as, as well. But the Jews later on took that word on. And strangely enough, during the times of Jesus, it became associated with a building. Yeah. So you would go into the synagogue. And it almost seems like a conscious choice by the early believers to choose a different word. They weren't going to associate with the Jewish synagogue anymore. They were now going to pick another word that has this Old Testament background that is the word ecclesia. Yeah. And uh, so that's another, that's a whole other study. Maybe we'll pick that up some you other can time. See, this really is really fascinating. You can go really in depth. Yeah. But there is a reason behind why the early believers were using this word. And there it, is. It, it, and it comes out in this lexicon here really well. Well, they give a second reason too, yeah. uh, rationale behind why it might have been that, that the Christians chose to use this word. And it was to describe themselves as sort of a, an orderly, lawful group. You remember we talked about in Acts chapter 19, and there were three different uses of the word ecclesia. And yeah. one we're talking about was in verse 39. It's referring to a lawful assembly. Christians really struggled in the early history of Christianity, and they were persecuted, and authorities started to want to really destroy the Christian movement and stop it in its yeah. tracks. And Christians were thought of as sort of this chaotic, rebellious group. And so the thought is that they, they really didn't want to define themselves that way. So they used this word assembly, ecclesia, because it was one that, that described a, a group that did things not in a chaotic fashion or a disorderly fashion. Right. They're not a riotous mob, but in an orderly way. Right. Yeah. So this possibly was also, according to the BDAG lexicon, this was another reason why they might have chosen this word to describe themselves this way. So uh, one final lexicon I'll recommend, and, and maybe we'll quote from it a little bit later on. I really also like the lexicon. It's entitled for the Greek Lu and Nida. Sometimes we just refer to it as Lu Nida. It's not as exhaustive as the one I just read to you from, the BDAG, but sometimes it gives you some really insightful information that you don't find elsewhere. And it's a little bit more accessible mm -hmm. than, than BDAG as well. But it's also a good example of sort of modern, really good modern scholarship. Yeah. So I'll leave that there having introduced those. Yeah. I've, you sent me the entry for Ecclesia from the Lunida. Yeah. There was one sentence in there I thought was interesting because they say, in the rendering of Ecclesia, a translator must beware of using a term which refers primarily to a building rather than to a congregation of believers. Yeah. So there's our point right there, and it's coming out in this lexicon. And this is a scholarly work, and he's kind of warning translators yeah. that they should really translate this as congregation or assembly. But it's strange, you know, there's, I don't think there's any translation that, that does that. They all use the word church. But it's interesting, like to give an example, like the King James Bible has a little bit of, of this way that they use church. It's yeah. uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18, where Paul tells the Corinthians, when you come together in the church, and you, you read that and you go, is is that kind of giving the sense of a building there? But then you go to like more modern translations and they realize what this is actually all about. So if we read it in the ESV, it says, when you come together as a church. Oh, yeah. Or I, in, I see the, the, in the Net there. Bible, yeah. it does the same thing. When you come together as a church. In fact, I think I looked up every modern translation and they're all the same. Yeah. And it's funny how this one little word, in or as, really change the meaning, yep. right? Yep. And so 
when you come together as a church, you're coming together as an assembly, as people gathering together. And the idea is really you're gathering because you believe the same things. You're being united together because you share in the same faith. It's interesting, like when you look at practical examples, let me just give you one. It's in Romans chapter 16, verse 5. Sure. That when when they gather together, they would often gather together in people's houses. So this is an example of this. You can find there's many of these in Scripture. It's Romans 16 and verse 5, where Paul says, Greet also the church in their house. You have a church in a house. So that wouldn't make sense if we thought of the church as a building because it would be in somebody's house. Absolutely. But yeah. it, it totally makes sense because the ecclesia or the assembly, it really should mean greet also the assembly in their house. Yeah. Right? Well, and I see there's another hit in that chapter for the word ecclesia. It's, again, complementary to the verse 5 that you read. In verse 23, it talks about oh. an individual, Gaius, who is host to me. This is Paul writing. He's host to me. And to the whole church, or of course the word is ecclesia, to the whole ecclesia. So Gaius is hosting the ecclesia in his house. This is complementary to what you're saying. How, how could you host a building? You wouldn't, but you'd host a group of people. Right. An right. assembly. Yeah, it makes sense. They're starting out here. They're not going to have their own buildings. They're going to be meeting in homes. And some of them that were were more affluent had bigger houses and they would be able to accommodate the ecclesia that was in their house. So in one sense, you know, the word church, it's become associated with a building, but this is really not about the building. It's, it's about the people inside the building, whatever it is, the building has really nothing to do with it. Yeah. The building's not the sacred space, you know, or anything about that, right? It's really the people inside, which are the dwelling place of God, right? Yeah. And, and what binds those people together as a group? That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really the reason why we tend to say ecclesia more often. Yeah. Because we're just trying to get that sense because it's so important for us to really to have that sense of unity and, and oneness that the that word ecclesia really embodies. Well, and this is a great example of why delving into the ancient languages, it can really help us out, not just in sort of a intellectual Right. or theoretical way, but that's a really practical understanding of the importance is with the believers, not with any building or any place that they might gather. And as soon as you start to put the importance on the believers and the faith of those believers and not on any kind of material place or, or any kind of material goods or anything like that, then your whole perspective changes and what, what you think is important changes. Yeah. yeah. We talk sometimes about etymology. Etymology. Yeah. That's a big word. Yeah. I'll, I'll define it for you really simply. It's it's a study of the origin of words. Mm -hmm. So you can see how using a lexicon might be closely related to etymology. It can be really interesting to for those of you who have wondered, you know, where did this word come from yeah. and, and gone down the rabbit hole of trying to figure <laughs> out where it came from. Some of them have really interesting origin stories. Yeah. Uh, and it, it can, Just in our modern day English you're talking about. Just yeah. in modern day yeah. English. Yeah. Where did this word come from? Yeah. And that can be helpful sometimes. And now let's think about doing that for ancient languages, words that we already really don't know what they mean. We've got to turn to a lexicon yeah. or a Bible dictionary to figure out what they mean and going even further to figure out their origins. Now, now to a certain extent, lexicons 
this is their business. This is what they do. But it's more than that because words take on meaning over time. Yeah. So sometimes the origin of a word, where it came from, really informs our understanding of the word, but sometimes not so much. And sometimes it can be misleading. Yeah. So modern day scholarship really has advanced a lot in the fact that etymology is maybe only a small part of the exercise that scholars will go through to, to figure out the meaning of a word. They also really want to, like we talked about earlier, look at how it was commonly used in the time in which it was written to sort of explain what that word might mean. And a, a really good simple example that's used often in the English language of a word whose roots really have nothing to do with the actual meaning of the word is butterfly, right? So the root words are butter and fly, but, but knowing that doesn't really help you to understand what a butterfly is. I wonder where that one came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't yeah, know the, the etymology yeah. of the word, but if you look at the root words, and, and often people will try to look at root words in the Bible, and it can be yeah. very helpful to find yeah. the root words. For example, we're going to look at ecclesia. It's comprised of two root words. Sometimes it's very helpful. Sometimes it can be misleading because it might not have anything to do right. with the meaning of the word. So we have to be very careful when we come to these lexicons about we how we interpret these root words. I think we got to use some common sense. Even when relying on scholars, we've got to use some common sense. This is a good example of that. And you and I have talked about this. So Lou and Nida, yeah. you, you quoted that a little bit earlier. It's a lexicon that I really like, but it has this to say in the same entry on the word ecclesia. It says this, though some persons have tried to see in the term ecclesia a more or less literal meaning of called out ones, this type of etymologizing is not warranted either by the meaning of ecclesia in New Testament times or even by its earlier usage. The term ecclesia was in common usage for several hundred years before the Christian era and was used to refer to an assembly of persons constituted by well-defined membership. Mm. So here's what they mean by that. We've discovered and, and lexicons have told us that the word came from the Greek legislative assembly because they were a democracy. Yeah. Their governing body was chosen by the people. We, we know how that works. That we're familiar with that process today. But back in Greek times, that was the case as well. And so literally, the word ecclesia is comprised of sort of two root words, ek, which is a preposition that means out of, yeah. and kalio, which is a verb that means to call. Mm. So literally, the origins of this word, it, it meant called out ones because these people who comprised the governing body had been called out by their peers and selected to lead them. They were the called, specially chosen people, called out. And so what Luanida is warning against is saying, be careful about trying to apply that direct interpretation to this word ecclesia when you see it. Because by the time we get to the New Testament, the word had been in use for several hundred years. Yeah, history, yeah. Yeah, and it may have taken on new meanings. And from other places that we see it in literature, it just meant an, an assembly. And so when people read it, you know, they may not have conjured in their minds the called out ones. And much has been made in Christian thought about that, about mm. the called out ones. But I think there's a good example in Paul's writings that maybe shows us that there is something to that original, literal yeah. meaning of this word. Are you going to go into that? Yeah. yeah, I'll go into that. Well, we mentioned in Acts chapter 19, where it's talking about an assembly, yeah. you know, a group of people, one orderly, one disorderly and chaotic. And when the word was used there, 
probably nobody when they were using that word Luke when he wrote that word in Acts was not thinking of these as chosen, called out people. It was just an unlawful group or a lawful group. But Christians decided to use this word to describe their gatherings together. And the verses that we opened with for this episode are the ones I want to call your attention to now. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll read them to you again. And Paul, the Apostle Paul is using some wordplay here, I think. Yeah. I think definitely... I think he's Tim, using wordplay on the word ecclesia. Yeah. He's on the word ecclesia. You brought this to my attention. Look at verses 1 and 2. I'll read them again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the ecclesia... Of God. Now, I've read Ecclesia, yeah. but in the ESV, it does say church. To the Ecclesia of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, I'll stop reading there, but you could read for about the next nine or ten verses and yeah. see variations on that word call over and over again. And it's different versions of that same word that you find this, the second part of the word ecclesia, that, that means to call. And it's pretty clear here that Paul is drawing direct attention to that literal meaning of the word ecclesia, right. yeah. to be called out, yeah. to be chosen. There's something special about this group. And I think when you start to look at the overall context, this is what you're talking about earlier, Tim. It's important before you delve into a lexicon. It's important to first just read the Bible and and become really familiar with the verses in the English, what they're saying, because the context in this case is so important. Yeah. And I I think there needs to be a balance here because you talked about this root word fallacy. Yeah. Like sometimes we can really dig ourselves into a pit in something that's really not true about a word. Yeah. But we don't want to discourage root word studies because you can really open up a word study into so much more. Absolutely. When you look at these roots and you kind of respect them and don't go down the root word fallacy. But I think this word ecclesia, the called out ones, is one of those examples. Yeah. And I think this verse kind of shows that to us. When you appreciate the kind of the real meaning behind it, they did. You can see how Paul emphasizes the, the called out ones. I mean, if you read it that way, to the called out ones of God that are in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, He's drawing on that. The idea of ecclesia is the idea of being called to be a saint. Yeah. Called to be somebody who's sanctified, somebody who is holy or or separate. That's what what that word means. Absolutely. And I guess maybe the point is, number one, use some common sense. Use good resources, but use some common sense. Be really familiar with the Bible passage that you're looking at in totality, not just the one verse that you're looking at. And then get good resources. Surround yourself with good resources and maybe... Maybe just talk to somebody else who you know has put in a lot of work into <laughs> understanding, you know, the same kinds of passages that you're looking at. Iron you, sharpens iron. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Very good, Matt. So we'll leave it there. We're kind of opening up a, a big subject here. This yeah. is kind of really a springboard, though, I see in, in later podcasts because the ecclesia, understanding this word church, this word ecclesia, is really an essential Bible study. As we've seen, we've seen the practical side of this. And we're going to be having some more podcasts. So you're saying we're, we're on brand here. This we're, is an essential Bible study. This so, is it, yeah. So we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks again, Matt, for being here. And we'll see you next season, I guess. I'm going to try to get you back again. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun.
If you are interested in any of the lexicons that Matt mentioned, we've provided links to them in our show notes. What's an essential Bible study that you want to do? We're starting to plan for next season, so if you have any suggestions for topics, then you can contact us at www.essentialbiblestudies.org. I've been trying to share this podcast with friends and family, and after I explain what a podcast actually is, the greatest difficulty is the technical challenges. To get over this hurdle, we've made some easy step-by-step instructions on how to listen to the podcast for either Apple or Android devices. So if you have an iPhone or iPad, we have instructions for that. If you have an Android phone or an Android tablet, we have instructions for that too. All you have to do is just go to this link. It's www.essentialbiblestudies.org help. That's www.essentialbiblestudies.org slash help for step-by-step instructions. This is a Christadelphian podcast supported by the Book Road Ecclesia in beautiful Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. Until next time, my dear friends, may God help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.